0: Hey, everybody. Great to have you with us. It is the V8 Sleuth Podcast powered by Repco for 2022. Uh, this is a Q&A episode. We get lots of Qs and we give the As, questions and answers. I'm Aaron Noonan. He's Will Dale. Hello, Will Dale. How are you going? I am super. Great to have you with us as we go through the mail. Well, it's not really mailbag. It's email Electronic bag. Mail. Social mailbag. Yes. I think it's probably best described that. Ones and zeros mailbag. That's it. And we've got plenty of questions as per usual, plenty of interesting topics that I think our listeners are going to get a lot out of. So let's just bowl straight in. Let's not muck around. Brent Gower, first up. Now, he keeps asking this question and and we're going to answer this one. Mm. So which championship driver, that's the Australian Touring Car and Supercars Championship, has raced at the most circuits, including different layouts? Now, this, Brent's taking this to new extremes here. Example, he says that Winton's had two layouts, Puka Koei's had two with the chicane in the back straight. Um, I reckon this is one for Shane, the database king. It is. However, what he is,
1: what we've got from Shane is the driver that has won the most races across different, different touring car championship circuits?
0: Right. So he hasn't quite given us what the question was.
1: He he may have been given the wrong question. Uh. <laughs> Apologies, Brent. Brent but what would we do, be pissed. <laughs> but what we but it does tell a very interesting story that of course that perhaps unsurprisingly the driver that has won on the most different circuit layouts in supercars and touring car championship history is Jamie Wincup who has won on 26 of the 53 layouts that the championship has raced on.
0: Has he won on the two layouts of the one place?
1: Not as many times as you would think. He's won on multiple layouts in Bahrain. He's won oh, yeah. multiple layouts at Yas Marina as well and the Gold Coast. But that's it. What was different about Yas Marina? So they ran the short circuit in the early years and then they ran on the full GP circuit in 2012.
0: You know what, I was there for that first one and didn't ever remember which track that they used. That's right, they used that link. Oh, yeah, once they came up and over the hill past the pit exit point and then it hooked left and it sort of cut back down the hill onto the back straight and they chopped out that sort of loop area, the, the spot where Verstappen pounced on Lewis in yeah. the, the final race last year. The corkscrew yeah. layout. Yeah, I think it's yeah, to. yeah.
1: I, I, I do have the list of circuits that Jamie's won on.
0: Do you want to put everyone to sleep or how long have we got here?
1: <laughs> well, there's 26 of them. So. Can you
0: read them really fast?
1: Albert Park, Adelaide, Simmons Plains, Hamilton, Phillip Island, Hidden Valley, Reed Park, Queensland Raceway, SMP, Sandown, Bathurst, Gold Coast, Yas Marina, Sydney Olympic Park, Yas Marina. Again, the different layout. The other Gold Coast layout, the short one as well as the indie one. Oran Park, both Bahrain's, Pukakoi, Circuit of the Americas, Wanaroo Raceway, Winton Motor Raceway, Newcastle, The Bend, and the other Newcastle version that I'd forgotten about because they moved the hairpin at oh, the end of the right. <laughs> by like 40 metres, but it's a different layout.
0: I've been everywhere, man. Yeah. I've been everywhere, man. Yeah, a yeah, that go? Yep. So, so there you go, Brent. Uh, that was the answer. It wasn't quite the question you asked, but I think it gives you a pretty good idea of who the answer would be. But uh, we'll get our stats man to go back and redig that and see just who has raced yes. on the most different layouts. But I would think it's someone in the supercars era.
1: It's interesting that that in terms of winners across most different layouts, Jamie's first. Behind him is Craig Lowndes on 22, then Garth Tander on 19, Mark Scaife on 18, Scott McLaughlin and Mark Winterbottom tied on 16, and then next is Dick Johnson on, also on 16, and Dick's probably represents, I guess, the older guard from the era where there was less racing, less rounds per year, so. In all likelihood, it, w- it will be a driver from the later era,
0: and less new venues to go to in the Dick Johnson era. You know, mm-hmm. they were going to pretty much the same places yeah. every year, perhaps just at different dates and in a different order.
1: Yes, he he probably straddles both eras the most with when the championship started to expand. It added Mount Panorama, which all, although he had already raced, there. he'd already done well, yeah, it. Yeah, It Started At Adelaide five
0: hundred yeah. and yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: So, next question from Danny Namoni. And you're probably the best place to answer this one rather than my myself.
0: Okay, sure.
1: Danny's asking, any latest news on the releases on the 2022 sevens Magic Moments of Motorsport DVDs? We
0: do get these questions quite often this time of year. Uh, Danny's a regular fan of the podcast and the DVDs that we've been pumping out with the team at Chevron Marketing for the last ooh, 10 years, I think, now we've been doing this stuff. Uh, there is some news. We've got a few plans for this year. Uh We've run out of full-length Channel 7 Bathurst V8 races from the 90s, but we've been able to dial it up. So the two full Super Touring uh, races, 97 and 98, they're going to be in full. Uh, another Thunderdome title, we had huge response from last year's Thunderdome Classic, so that's going to come out. Um, a Simmons Plains feature uh, DVD and some early Supercars era, late 90s Bathurst full races. Uh, which are kind of under the Supercars banner, not under the Seven Sport Magic Moments banner. So there's a bit more to come this year.
1: I'm excited about another Thunderdome DVD. The last one It went, it went nuts. Yeah. It
0: went nuts. We've had so many people asking about the Thunderdome and the racing and the Oscars, the NASCAR and HQs. There's, there's been plenty of stuff. And, of course, we've started off the year with our podcast with a two-parter with Terry Wyhoon, two-parter with Brad Jones, lots of Thunderdome chat. It's had awesome response. The numbers have been through the roof for this time of year where – Sometimes people aren't quite back into the swing of things in in summer because they're on long holidays or they're just not into the groove of it all. Tell you what, the numbers were huge for those podcasts to fire off the year. So there's plenty of hunger. There's plenty of appetite for Thunderdome stuff out there.
1: It is Thunderdome season after all.
0: Well, exactly. We should be out there going (laughs) round and round.
1: Now, before we move on to the next question, I've just been—I've ha- just literally been handed a piece of paper, like physically. <laughs> this- it is actually
0: a piece of paper. Yeah,
1: we talk about this. We talk about this being um, digital, but yeah, it is very much a piece of paper that Shane, our data guru, has handed to me as he has heard that I
0: sent him the wrong question,
1: and he's <laughs> he's gotten the right answer to the question that Brent Gower
0: asked. So, Brent, if you've tuned out. If you know Brent, please tell him to re- re-listen to this podcast episode because if he hung up his headphones in disgust after about the five-minute mark of <laughs> the first question and didn't get the answer that he was chasing, tell him to come back because Will's about to give it.
1: So you've kept asking, you've tried again, and now we've technically answered it twice. So the most layouts raced by any one driver.
0: It's got to be lounge, surely.
1: Correct, 34. Yeah. 34? 34 different
0: layouts. Jeepers.
1: Yeah. Uh, Next is Rick Kelly and Garth Tander tied on 32.
0: That makes sense, actually.
1: They're that era where Mm. supercars visit a lot of different venues. Yep, true. Um, I'm guessing one of the two that Lowndes has on the other two is Malala. Although Tander raced at Malala, didn't he, in 98? 98 he did, yeah. Um, And then behind them tied on 31 are Russell Ingall and Jason Bright.
0: Makes sense. Yeah, yeah, it's it's those guys who started mid to late nineties and then carried on through going and going and you know, going. Yeah. Well, that was Russell, but <laughs> 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 but you know, ran into the tens quite significantly when we were racing at lots of new venues and there was there was plenty of different stuff going on. So yeah, good one. Well, bold Shane, you were. Um, well, he he's off the hook. You're not off the hook yeah. though. Oh, has he got? Yeah. I think he got you off the hook he by did, yeah. getting yeah. you the bit of paper. Apologies, so, Brent. Sorry, Brent. There you go. There is your answer to your question. By the way. We do get so many questions when we do call outs for these. We can't answer them all. We, we'd love to but we'd be here for ages and if we answered them all, we'd have to probably set up a subscriber service to subscribe to the podcast for the time it would take us to do it all. we need um, a
1: commentator rota- rotation system as well. I'd have well. to send invoices. We'd welcoming Tony Gregg into the box or
0: something. <laughs> so we don't deliberately avoid people's questions. Sometimes we don't have an answer. Sometimes... They're silly. Sometimes they're way too hard and no one would ever have an answer, but we do the best that we can do with the time that we've got available. So to those who appreciate what we can do, we appreciate you feeling that way. Matthew Davis, now, he enjoys the DVDs we do on um, racetracks, which we've just covered off a little bit more about. Wonderful Winton. Wonderful Winton. It's hard to come up with an alliteration for every track name. Awesome Adelaide, Sensational Sandown. Yeah, but you start to run out after a while. If you've used Sensational Sandown, what's Simmons Plains then? Super Simmons planes, Yes. Oh. Super Simmons. Super Simmons? Yeah, sounds like a set of wheels actually. Um, he's asking Matthew is, uh, have we considered a series of books on each of the Australian tracks? They could include permanent circuits as well as street circuits like Canberra and the Gold Coast.
1: It's an interesting idea. We, we, of course, have done one devoted to a
0: particular circuit with our book. The whole on, event? Yes, on the Adelaide 500. The sensational Adelaide book, the illustrated history of the Adelaide 500, uh, which is available now. I know this is the plug, but you need to follow this, bookshopv 8 grab a copy of the Adelaide 500 book. On the quiet, price is reduced slightly online. So if you jump on there now, you'll get a better deal. <laughs> Just here to help, here to help.
1: And, and realistically, if you buy the book, it improves the chances of us doing more in that style.
0: Correct, exactly. You buy it, we'll do it. So probably not at the moment, Matthew, but I reckon we would have to do a compilation of all of the tracks together but with some more added elements around them. Um, and I think we could do a book on Canberra. I'm not sure. Short, book. short, very cold. Yeah, not book. not enough events With a little back? too bleak. Um, you just open the pages and instant frost just falls straight <laughs> out of the book, straight on your face. It just it's very it's very Canberra 400.
1: <laughs> yes. Next question from Matt JL underscore ninety eight on Twitter: The Bathurst 1985
0: DVD. Geez, incu- we're DVD. Today, we are. Aren't we? Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, people are into it. It's yeah. good.
1: So the 1985 Bathurst 1000 DVD includes footage from the M and Ms. The M and M's International Challenge. What was the story behind this race slash series? And is it too much to hope that we can get a revival with Hyundai Excels? <laughs> Could you imagine
0: how good would that be? Oh, and they're all painted up as different coloured M and M's as well.
1: Which I, I went back and watched this race off the back of Matt's question, and it 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 was cut down highlights. It was
0: like a so it was like a celebrity race in identical. Was it Nissan Pulsars or Nissan something?
1: Pulsars, front-wheel drive things, because around that time, Nissan was, because they, they didn't have a touring car to race in 1985, to try and sort of leverage their promotion around the sport. They were doing sort of, celebrity style races with celebrity race car oh, drivers was, of different disciplines
0: and they ripped some shit up didn't they
1: i don't know how many pulses pulsars they started with but they went through a few <laughs> more than they ended with yeah 12 would start on four wheels and a few would end up on their roofs yeah um in this particular instance for bathurst now another interesting point is this as far as I know, it was the first support race was, for a
0: Bathurst 1000. I was about to say to you, would this have been the first support race? Because now we go to Bathurst, well, normally in October, last year, December, hmm. and there's usually four or five support categories. Um, it's just part of Bathurst. You don't hmm. really stop and ever think about the fact that prior to the mid-'80s, that was it. It yeah. was the 1000 and the practice sessions and there wasn't a support category category there they just didn't do it
1: so this this was in between saturday afternoon's final practice session and the traditional bathurst street parade that most of the drivers attended yep um 10 car field split between australians kiwis and international drivers because again that was the first group a bathurst Mm -hmm. 1000 a lot of international a lot of international drivers and teams came out Here's here's the, for those who haven't seen the DVD. This is the grid of buy drivers. It, by the way, buy it. It's oh, worth course, yeah, it. It's yeah, quite it's, funny to watch. Yeah. Actually, plus you get the 1985 Bathurst 1000 in
0: addition to this race. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. it's a nice bonus extra. <laughs> it is.
1: So this is the 10 car grid in order. Tim Slako representing Western Australia, which
0: now is a separate country. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, it is. Colin Bond. Michel Delcour, the Belgian t- driver, who didn't end up starting the 85 Bathurst 1000.
0: Oh, that's right, because the Starian he was driving was a not well. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. Um, alongside him, Jim
0: Richards. Was he representing Australia or New Zealand? Because <laughs> He's been question. drafted into the odd Australian team over time. Indeed.
1: Um, Alan Moffat was next on the grid, who was driving <laughs> a Channel 7 Blazer that weekend. This is so, the only thing so, he so did he that weekend. He actually did race that did. weekend. A lot of people
0: probably forget that.
1: Yeah. Uh, alongside Moff was Roberto Avalia. Then Dick Johnson and Johnny Chicotto and Danny Holm and Robbie Francovic rounded out the 10-car lineup, lineup in varying shades of green, brown, and yellow. <laughs> no
0: red ones? No
1: red, I don't think, oh. but I have to, yeah. Finally, I, I wasn't actually paying attention to the colours.
0: Oh, but there
1: were less different colours of M&M's back in the day. So yeah, was, they've, yeah,
0: they've expanded the range a bit more in recent and, times.
1: And the race was very entertaining, as you can imagine, dropping touring car drivers into front-wheel-drive production cars that they didn't have to care for. <laughs> or own. Or own. Um, there was a moment where where uh, Michelle Delcor tried to enter the Dipper sideways and Dick Johnson tried to round him up around the outside. <laughs> it all came down to a last-corner battle between... Tim Slaco and Jim Richards. Richards was leading, and this is before Caltech's chase. Mm. So it was the long drag down Conrod, and even longer drag if you're in a Nissan Pulsar.
0: <laughs> They're still there. Yeah,
1: the race is still finishing. Um, Richo led into the last corner. Slaco ducked underneath him, gave him a bit of an elbow, and um, got through for the win. One for Western Australia.
0: Sensational. Yeah. <laughs> Anyone who tells you that Tim Slaco never won Bathurst? think different. He think said different.
1: Jim unexpectedly slowed in front of him in the, in the middle of the final corner. <laughs> it, it was an unf- so they end up doing this race again the following year where Richards had even less luck where I can't remember if it was him that spun on the exit of the elbow or Roberto Ravaglia who spun on the exit of the elbow but whoever didn't spin then crashed head on into the other one.
0: Oh, Bef- so that's before the
1: race started. Oh, what warm-up! This lap. is on. This is on the warm-up <laughs> oh lap God. because they were, and the spin happened because they were trying to get heat into the rear tires that had no drive. Oh. so
0: yeah. God bless one-make racing. Yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I don't think too many of those Nissans survived, but there would be a lot of them that were used.
0: Every lap in under a minute means every second matters. Bosch Power Tools Perth Super Sprint, May 17 to 19. Book now a tick attack. Supercars unforgettable. Well, Instagram is a place where we get lots of questions from. Mainly they come from Facebook, but we've got a pretty strong following on the old Instas these days. We got a lot this time. Yeah, yeah, yeah more yeah, than we point. normally do. Yeah. Um, I usually try to read out the handles, but I get them wrong. Saucy51, S-Z-A-U-C-Y, just so as... Either I've got that really wrong or really right. What car numbers competed the most supercars in Australian Touring Car Championship races without winning a race?
1: Now, it's funny because Shane and I were talking about this the other day, unrelated to um, to this question coming through. It's but like it meant... they knew you were thinking <laughs> yeah. about it. So we actually have the answer without having to dive back into the database. And um, bad news for Scott Pye fans, it is number 20.
0: So 320, according to what I've got here, 329 races... As of the end of last season. Correct. Which is the most of any number. Most race starts championship race starts by any number. Not to win. Not to have won yet. Cool. So twenties who were a chance back Alan Jones, B and H Alan Jones. And the CDs. Yeah, and he was with this series, he was twenty, Longhurst was twenty five.
1: Terry Finnegan ran it for a bit
0: off the yeah. top of uh, Ian Palmer, Hungry Jacks Commodore. Oh yeah. Now we've just turned it into number wars here, haven't we? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's not been a number that's had terribly much love. I mean, Larko's mm. team ran it, remember, with Bugs, Yeah, yeah. Um, and Frosty. And Frosty way. then took it over when Bugs took over Larko's number 10. Um, and then, it remember, it went to Paul Cruikshank's team with Marcus Marshall, the yep. Glenford's car. Yep. Um, so, yeah, it's been around a bit, but it just has not been on a race-winning car. No. Maybe Scott Pye can change that this year for Team 18 and the DeWalt. Commodore. In fact, actually, there's a bit of news on Team 18 that's come out this week, and that's a really good time for me to mention too. If you love your motorsport podcast, you've got to get on board, not just the V8 Sleuth podcast, but the Castrol Motorsport News podcast. It's every Tuesday. It's with our great mate, Andrew Van Leeuwen, and of course, Stefan Bartholomeus, who works with us here at V8 Sleuth. Uh, They bring you the motorsport news from all angles every week. I reckon it's the best Analysis and insight and opinion going around in motorsport podcasts in Australia at the moment. And they've got a chat this week with the new supercar team owner from Premier Racing. Peter who, of course, is the Top Fuel Australian drag racing champion who has acquired the assets of Team Sydney and is now going into the championship uh, this year himself. So have a listen to that. Follow it through um, wherever you get your, your podcast from, of course, Apple and Spotify. You can listen to it through our website as well. But that's the Castrol Motorsport News Podcast with the boys. Every Tuesday it drops, so subscribe so you don't miss an episode and you get the latest news. And there's a bit of Team 18 news too in that episode. I won't tell you what it is. You've got to go listen.
1: That's absolutely fair. It is a very enjoyable listen. I listen to it on the drive home, which is quite lengthy for me. <laughs> um, yeah, every week. And I'm not biased in saying that not the fact that I'm mates with them both, but it actually is genuinely enjoyable to listen to these two talk about motorsport.
0: They've got a really interesting connection where they agree to disagree to agree to disagree. Exactly. It's, yeah. it, I, I don't know how it works. It just works between those two. Uh, and... It's really good fun. We're really yeah. enjoying what they're putting out. I hope you are too. If you've been listening, if you haven't been listening, get on board. Don't miss out.
1: Next question from Joe Pacoach on Instagram. I'm going to guess I've got that wrong.
0: But Just say here Joe. We are
1: from Joe on Instagram Where is the 1999 Bathurst winner? And is it the only V8 supercar to win Bathurst and the Super 2 series?
0: Love a chassis question. Yes. Uh, the 99 Bathurst winning car is in Melbourne with a collector, Dean Savage, who hmm. has had it for a long time now. Um, and that was, of course, the Wins Commodore that Steve Richards and Greg Murphy used to win uh, the 99 FAI 1000, which was the first year that the championship um, was decided at Bathurst, first time Bathurst was part of the championship. Um, that car was rebirthed later on by Team Dynamic as one of their first VY um, blueprint cars. So they, they chopped the front off it and it actually got re tagged as Team Dynamic Triple Zero, I think. It mm-hmm. was Gibson Chassis 8 of the Commodores. But um, I think we, we spoke to Dean last year about this car. Mm. He's still got it. He's keen to put it all back together and, and restore it at some point. It's a um, long
1: term restoration. Yeah, it's a long term, it. but
0: it's it's totally doable and it would be great to see that car. We've seen the, the sister car that was Richo's championship car from during that year that. They didn't race in the Enduros. It was the challenge car, actually, um, that Mike Imry has had in recent times in the last well, five, six years, has wheeled that out with the five-litre touring car association. But um, this car is special because um, it won, obviously, Bathurst mm. and then it won what was then the Conica V8 Supercar Series with Simon Wills when he acquired it after Gibson swapped to Ford. Mm. So he ran that car, won the series, and then it later was rebirthed as a as a VY. But it's not the first to do it. Oh, it's not the only one, I should say. It the was the, the first, first to do yeah. it, but it's been followed in the wheel tracks by a few more since.
1: So the 20, tw- the 2010 Bathurst winning car of Craig Lowndes and Mark Scafe, Triple H chassis, later went to Eggleston Motorsport. And Paul Dumbrell used that in 2014 to win the Super 2 Series, his second Super 2 Series win. Yep. And he won a lot of races in that car from 2016 or 2014 to 2016. The other car kind of surprised me. I didn't know this until I looked it up. Um, Chaz Mostert and Paul Morris's 2014 Bathurst winner was the same chassis that Gary Jacobson used through the balance of the 2016 Super Two season to um, win the title, albeit as an FGX Falcon mm. instead of an FG.
0: But still the same chassis, so Correct. that counts uh, for that purpose. So there you go, Joe. There's three of them uh, that you can tell your mates all about that you know the answer to that one. Um, <laughs> Instagram. <laughs> You made 78. No, yeah. I love it. Would we ever see a combined TCR supercar Bathurst 1000 in the future and bring back 60-car grids? Now, this is a really interesting question, and this is one that you, myself, Stefan, we discussed this at Bathurst last December, mm. and I was big on this as being a this, is, this should happen because at the time we went, well, the fences are down now. There's ownership commonality between in race between ARG and supercars. Um, this all makes sense. And it feels like it's now further apart than it could ever be, yeah. given that there's now two different broadcasters for these series. Um, and two a very whole, different brand, brands yeah, a, as well a whole, as their primary sponsor. Yeah, a whole different world. But uh, it, it, to me, would make sense. I, I love the idea of... I'm not so much a big thing about the field size, though, Will. I'm interested in your take. I think it would give an opportunity for drivers that don't get the opportunity anymore to compete in the Bathurst 1000. Now, let's just imagine it's utopia and everything's cool and everything's hunky-dory. If you added 15 to 20 TCR cars to a 25-car supercar field, I mean, we've seen what sort of lap times that they there capable of around there now. They've been there twice. Hmm. They'd be a bit slower in endurance mode with a bigger fuel tank and um, more equipped for doing 1,000 Ks instead of, you know, 50. Yes. But, you know, I think about some of those young guys in TCR, Jordan Cox, Aaron Cameron, um, guys who have proven themselves in that category, but I just can't see if when they're going to get a shot um, in supercars as a co-driver because of the way that the endurance driver's rules are. You're not going to go and grab some young kids and put them in your second car like back in the day. Mm. I feel that's the thing that would be great to have TCR cars in the Bathurst 1000, but I feel it's um, it's a pipe dream more than anything given what's happened the last few months.
1: Yeah, unfortunately. Uh, it. I'd be interested to see how it would work with those cars racing at the same time because, of course, clearly the TCR car is a bit slower than the supercar, but... Um, I imagine it would be reasonably quick across the top, but would it would really struggle up the, top. the hill. Yeah. Um, I think the drivers at the pointy end of the supercars field may not appreciate the idea of of cars that are significantly slower potentially getting in the way, costing time at critical points during the race as they're trying to hold off cars or pass cars in front of them.
0: Uh, you, you, I'm sorry, that's Michael Messi. He's just called in. It's called a race. <laughs> it's a race. I like they it. get it easy now, these guys. They get it so easy. That's good, though. It's enjoyable to watch the,
1: the best drivers in the country and the fastest touring cars in the country going flat out around the best track in the country
0: for the biggest prize. True. Yeah, I'm, I've got no problem with that. But
1: I, I do see how it would add another element of interest around it'd it.
0: Give, it'd give the race international relevance again. Now, there's all the other elements of, well, that robs from you know the Bathurst International in the last round of what would be a TCR series, but... If if suddenly you added this into the mix and we lived in this nice utopian world mm. and everything's hunky-dory and it's all perfect, w- would Audi Customer Sport Racing support Melbourne Performance Centre and fire out Christopher Meese and, you know, some engineers and some drivers to drive us some locals? Absolutely they would. Mm. It'd be fantastic. And it'd add the dimension that we don't have now. And I'm not saying that the, the race is no good without that dimension, but if you could add another dimension to it and take it back to – I'm not one to say that it should be back to how it used to be because everything evolves and changes for a reason, yeah. and that's that's life. You can never go home again is the yeah. phrase. <laughs> exactly. But I just feel there's some real positives in it that would be kind of cool, but I think it's the sort of thing that we probably shouldn't spend any more minutes on because the likelihood of it happening, well, the only thing that could happen is down the track, if in a couple of years' time, that the barriers come down, that the television deals are all lined up. The contracts start to align. Yeah, and and that there's common ownership across everything and that, you know, that that might open up. But let's not hold our breath in the short term anyway.
1: It would be fascinating to see. Mm. Braydan87 on Instagram asks, any new chassis being built for 2022 or will the Gen 2 car count remain at
0: 104? 104. No newies this year, mate. Last year of the current generation of cars, so um, no teams at the moment planning on building any or actually building any for the start of the season. Having said that, geez, there's a few of them that have actually sold their cars already. Mm. So you would hope that they don't have a shunt before the end of the season and need a spare. They might have to borrow one from someone else or whip one up themselves to, to get them through the year, but hopefully... That's not the case. So, yeah, the last one is 104, which is the Chas Mostert car that won Bathurst last year. Mm. So, uh, And and when we say 104, V8 supercars have numbered each of the car of the future and Gen 2 chassis with their own number, and then the teams apply their own chassis numbers. So number one way back when was one of the Nissan Altimers from mm. Kelly Racing right through to 104 being the, the Wilkinshaw Andretti. United ZB, Commodore of uh, the Chas, who is going to drive that car again this year. Yes.
1: Mark Doxey has an interesting question, one that one that I quite enjoy having not been there at the time because I can imagine this would have been immensely aggravating. 1987 Bathurst 1000, pictures of the Holden dealer team cars early
0: in the weekend. Ooh, ooh, ooh. careful. What? HDT. Oh, yes. Can't say Holden Dealer, Team 1987. No, correct. You would have probably got sued by by the general at the time. Would have
1: gotten a visit from the angry gentleman who was at the outside of the enclosure preventing others from getting in. (laughs) Pictures of the HDT cars, HDT racing cars, early in the weekend, have a blue background for their numbers, but by race day it switched to a white background. Any idea why?
0: Because that was a round of the World Touring Car Championship. Mm. And there were rules and regulations on number panels. And the locals had some really beautiful numbers. Oh, like yeah. Brock's cars had white on blue with these numbers. Yeah. I think the JPS cars had those beautiful gold leaf numbered on, um, numbers on the side yep. and the bonnet. Uh, and in the end, the FISA rules said no, you can't run it. You've got to run, you know, what was it, black on white yeah. and in a box. So the, these horrible tape jobs had to be done to change all these beautiful painted numbers to these horrible sticker jobs
1: and there were elements like there were elements in the local rules that were sort of looked occasionally that they would look the other way um, the did it really needs. matter
0: in the grand scheme exactly of things.
1: so there was a rule back in the day and it wasn't wasn't all that long ago that it changed um, that you couldn't have advertising above the glass line, mm. which led to things like <laughs> NGK Janssen. <laughs> the, the name change to allow NGK to be on the windscreen banner of Captain P- Peter Jansen's Toronto. He changed his name by D-Pole oh, yeah. to
0: be able to do it, which, um, you know, great yeah. thinking.
1: But but that rule was strictly enforced by the fees of scrutineers. So things like the Australian flag on the top of the HDT cars had to come off the musical note on top of Graham Moore's, Graham Moore's Strathfield Car Radio's <laughs> Commodore had to come off. Things like that. So, yeah, it was interesting that um, how strictly certain things were applied by, by the visiting scrutineers, and how not strictly certain <laughs> things were trying to be applied. So it was... Yes. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Ironic. Yes. Yeah. Speaking of that eighty-seven race, uh, the National Motor Racing Museum up at Mount Panorama. Of course, they're open six days a week. They're not open on Tuesdays. Head to the museum's Bathurst website or the museum's Facebook page for all the the opening times and availabilities. We love going there. We look forward to to getting back up there soon. They've actually got tucked away in their uh, storage room. They showed us a little while ago. One of the pit signs from that year's race from the Texaco Ford team. Yeah. Which I'm not sure who ripped it down and kept it because normally the fans would, you know, invade the pit lane afterwards on their way to the podium and grab all the pit signs off the, the top of the that garages. Year. Yeah. Um, which actually reminds me this is something I want to throw in here. It wasn't just a, a reminder to head to the museum and, and to, to get behind them and go and have a look at some amazing motorsport history up there at Mount Panorama. If you've pinched a sign, after a bathus 1000 off the top of the pit bays that used to have the number and the names and the team name on them send us a photo we want to know who's got what out there we won't name you if you don't want to be named yeah but Statue we'd love to know you're
1: not going to get done yeah, for it you're now. not going to
0: get done we won't dub you in but I'd love to know who's got what out there and who's got the best one maybe we put it to a vote somewhere down the track cuz I reckon there's some pretty cool stuff out there oh absolutely absolutely
1: Kieran Andrew asks, "What chassis did Team Kiwi Racing use to finish off the rest of the 2006 season after Paul Radisic wrote off the PMM chassis, Frank, during the during the 1000?
0: And that was the crash exiting the chase that poor Paul found himself on the outside. I think Nathan Pretty and ended up head on into the the wall on the outside that absolutely uh, destroyed that car. Mm. So um, Team Kiwi, of course, franchise regulations such that you had to keep turning up, otherwise yes. you were." You're going to get fined. I think it's 150 dollars per car per round that you didn't fulfill hmm. your well franchise, later known yeah. as a racing entitlements contract.
1: So you're allowed um, to miss one through force majeure, which oh, which, which yeah. they
0: did, didn't they? Yes. They missed, they missed the, the Gold, Gold Coast. Boost. Yeah. But they yeah. actually had to then pony up for the remainder. So they brought out Astro, which was the the first Paul Morris built Commodore supercar that Matt Neal had belted into the fence at, <laughs> yes. at Oran Park, remember back in 2001. So Barrow drove that at Simmons Plains. And of course he was ex-team Kiwi um, and had been he got kind of got shuffled, hadn't he, in that whole WPS mm. lineup change with Larco's team merging. So he was around um and he drove Tazzy Chris Pitha drove in Bahrain to make his Supercars Championship debut, mm. so that goes way back. And then to get around running a car, and this happened a bit back in the day, the 021, which was the Team Kiwi license, REC, call it what you will, mm. was um, leased for the weekend for the last round at Phillip Island for Tony Evangelou, the Development Series driver, to run under on his Falcon. So as long as there was a car there with the number on it fulfilling the entry, didn't matter what car, what colour, what driver it had. It met the obligation for the franchise, so um, that was how they managed to, to, to fill in that last round. Um, and Astro was the, the car that Tim um, Kiwi used to, to get them through the rest of that year. Sadly, that's the car that Ashley Cooper had his crash in, mm. uh, in Adelaide in 2008. Yes.
1: Next question from Rod Binding. Regular question asker is Rod. Like like getting your questions, Rod. What's the history on the FGX that Paul Morris has? I thought it was XDJR, but have also heard that it might be a ProDrive
0: Racing Australia car. You've heard correct then, Rod. Yes, it is an ex-ProDrive car. Of course, the team's now Tickford Racing, but it mm. was ProDrive when this car was um, around. In fact, it was FPR when this car first was around. So this is one of the first batches of FPR's Car of the Future Falcons. So this is FG, not FGX. So we're, we're going way back in the... Do you remember the times? Car of the future.
1: <laughs> yes.
0: Those were the days. That was a while ago.
1: I still remember when they they tried to tell us to um, call them new generation supercars. You remember yes, that? I started that doing
0: that for a little while and then I just got over it. Yeah. Do we call them Gen 1 cars? So we, th- this the is current, where the absurdity yeah. of all this stuff happens. So we're talking about Gen 3 for next year. Fine. The current cars we're in, Gen 2, mm. Mustangs and ZB Commodores. So Gen 1 is the Altimas and the VF and the the FG, FGX. But we call them Car of the Future. So can we just get our generation naming right and numbering right? It would make life so much easier.
1: Does that mean Project Blueprint was Gen minus 1 or Gen (laughs) 0? Gen 0. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Do we just go back through letters at that point? It oh, probably geez. would work. Yeah, it probably it would, work. yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> One headache at a time, Will. Um, this car, which is actually what we're going to see Nash Morris race in Super 2 this year, uh, was originally the Geldwin car that FPR ran as a customer car for Charlie workholt So it was Alex Davison's car. Jack Perkins drove it the next year. Um, Dave Reynolds drove it in 15. Remember that year he had a really good run mm. in the bottle O colours, put it on pole at Bathurst in the wet, um, uh, you know. Top three it, in the championship. Yeah, maybe. yeah, expressed his – you're dead to me, to Shane Van Gisbergen at Phillip <laughs> Island uh, later the year. Actually, Greg Murphy drove that car. I think that's the first Ford supercar. Remember when Murph was driving all the cars as part of the broadcast coverage? Ah, yes. yeah. He yeah. drove that car. I think it was in Tassie maybe. I think it's the first Ford. Supercar, of course, he'd raced a Sierra Murph that a lot of people mm. forget. Um, but anyway, this was the Reynolds car. Uh, Cam Waters used it for the first half of 16. I think Jack LeBrock had a little use of it late that year in Super 2. And then um, Peter Mules from Northern Territory uh, NT Shipping, longtime sponsor and supporter of Paul Morris's racing, um, he bought the car and Anton Di Pasquale drove it in Super 2 in 17. Shay Davies 18, and it's been sitting there. For the last couple of years waiting for having another run. So there you go, Rod. That's the history of that car. It's a it's a pretty interesting one. Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online. Thanks to Castrol's Reggio to Oil tool. Simply type in your Red select your state, and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search Reggio the number two, and oil and find out.
1: Next question from Connor the New Lizard Guy with a one in the place of the Iron Lizard. Because that really makes a difference. It does. It I does. guess he couldn't get it with an
0: eye, could he? So he had to change it.
1: Yeah, well, apparently someone else has it. <laughs> Did the 1993 Roadways Racing EB Falcon actually exist or was it just a rumour? Uh,
0: oh, so we're talking the less small built Les Falcon small here, aren't we? Well, Falcon. it's not really a Roadways... Car, but I think it was ADV, was sort of the branding that it was under that Les Moore was working with at the time. Mm. But no, it's legit. It, it was real. It never raced in V8 touring cars, but mm. it was, um, it was trailered to Bathurst in 94. If you look at the Bathurst book, um, the Great Race book, and I think it was maybe an auto yeah, it was in auto action or Motorsport Newswear, one of those two, um, that car was towed there. It, it, it plain white, no stickers on it, completely, um, bare-nude EB Falcon. I did see that car some years ago, probably about 10 years ago though now. Um, I can not remember if I did a story on it or not, but it was with the Evans family who were over in the West, western suburbs of Melbourne, and I think it might have been used in um, sports sedan-type racing later on. My memory's a bit foggy, but it was that car. But it never raced in 5-litre V8, you know, Australian mm. touring cars of that period. So if anyone ever... You know, acquires that one down the track and tries to wheel it out as a V eight Falcon touring car. Um, it's a uh, tribute car, I guess you'd say more than a. Um, it's not. A, it's not a legit's not the word, but it's not one that raced in the period.
1: Yes, it would be. An, it would be interesting to see that car out there with similar cars of its ilk, even if it wasn't technically one that mm. raced against them, because it was built for that purpose. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yep. Exactly right. Exactly right. Uh, another one, Instagram. It's been a very, very plentiful place for questions this week.
1: This one should be a bit easier, though.
0: Well, yeah. It's a familiar it's, it's, one. It's easy, but it's hard. Well, the guy's name's easy, Marcus Sukanovic. He yeah, races the yeah. XD Falcon. Remember the White Falcon in TCM? And his question is, as a keen motorsport enthusiast and classic car fan V8 Sleuth team, any opinions on how to improve TCM? It's
1: a hard one, isn't it? We, we all love TCA Touring Car Masters. It's a brilliant category with amazing cars I feel like and amazing drivers. To say, but. It's hard not to notice that the field sizes have shrunk over the past five years. We've got guys like um, Jim Richards who have said that in, in his particular case, the amount of body contact that was occurring wasn't what he had signed up for and he didn't really want to continue racing. So we haven't seen his Falcon Sprint or his AMC Javelin out on track for a few years now. Um it's a spectacular category, but I feel like costs have gotten away from it. It's it's very expensive to build a car that you can go racing with at the front of the field in this category anymore.
0: Yeah, it's not like the days when it started where you took your group N car and you hotted it up a bit and hmm. you know, this was why TCM existed. It was to um safeguard, you know, the historic cars that had reliability issues and the parts weren't quite good enough. It beefed them up. It made them better to be more reliable and to be more racy. Um, and then it evolved, you know, I don't know, five years ago, six years mm. ago. We, we When the opening of the window opened up to allow the, the hard top Falcons and the Tyrannas in, I was cool with that. Mm. Then XD Falcons and Commodores take it to that next era. And I think it's important that. Our time's moving on. Yeah, You know, the calendar keeps on moving. We don't stop. So if you applied a rolling window of eligibility to this thing, you've got to keep opening up things to, you know, a Commodore from 1980 is now 42 years old. Yeah. So when we when Turing Car Masters started, it was 2007, I think it was. Hmm. Um, so that's 14 years ago. Yeah. So rewind where we were then and add 14 years back to your window of cars and that's in the hitting zone of the stuff that's been traditionally in the series with Camaros and Mustangs and mm. you know that sort of that sort of stuff. So I actually feel like the thing that was its draw point at the beginning: the cars are the stars in TCM, no Absolutely. doubt about it. But it had kind of the you had Jim Richards, John Bow, Andrew Mediki, Glenn Seton had some names at the top. It doesn't have that as much now. Steven Johnson's there. You know, Marcus is, is, is a known, but he's not a, a top tier Bathurst, ex supercar main gamer or or yeah. anything like that. JB's still there. JB's course, still Tom there. Out. JB will be always there. He's yes. he's, <laughs> yes. he's like uh, he's he's rusted on. He's he's yeah. locked in. So I was thinking about this and pondering this question before we came on to record this podcast and you keep i keep thinking if you keep moving the window and letting in what's next the early 80s cars almost have like a replica group C series hmm. which might not, not be such thing. a bad yeah. thing and then you almost might have to split the categories in two really but the big costs engines that's the that's why they brought in that category specific engine hmm. to try to encourage some cars to come out of the, the sheds that can just stick this control engine in I think Jared McLeod used it in that Commodore that he's been running yes um, yeah. to try to just bring that that cost down because some of these engines the the spend on them the the build of some of the cars it's gone beyond converting a, a you know a, a Camaro that was a group n car mm. um, it's gone to building whole new cars you know from virtually I wasn't going to say ground up but the from, they're they're the, purpose-built you know, cars, purpose really? built. yeah, yeah which, which has kind of got away from the beauty of, of what it was. So maybe there's a theory. And one other little thing, because it's in the ARG group of categories, it's kind of a hybrid calendar. Hmm. It's going to appear at some supercars. It's going to appear at some of the, the ARG speed, um, speed Series events that they're running on now. I reckon for TCM to really fulfil its what it is, it's got to be with supercars. Yes. It's got to be with its heritage. That's the thing. To me, that, and that's probably not going to change the. Does that improve TCM? If you're a competitor, does it? I'm not sure. But as a as a viewer, and where where is the bigger audience? Hmm. They're watching supercars, whether it be on TV or or at the track. So the category makes perfect connection there for me. But maybe the fact is it's still going. It's still got cars. Yeah. But how do we improve it? You've got to find a way to make it a bit cheaper. Now, there's no such thing. It's cheap car racing. It no, just doesn't no. exist. All well, those Hyundai Excels. Well, that's some people TCM. are spending money on those as well. Then it's yeah, a bit true. crazy. But yeah, look, we could sit here and say you have got to make engines cheaper, and then you could go, well, how? How? Yeah. You know, do you control some parts? Do you? Uh, you Which know,
1: is beyond either of our technical yeah, expertise. Yeah,
0: exactly right. But I think the that they need to future-proof yeah. TCM a little bit. For I mean, it's been a great success. It is. It's it's the fan favourite support category. If oh, you, every mile. time there's a survey on Speed Cafe or anywhere else, I mean, you only have to look at the the, the merch stands and the food stalls. Just some categories just don't resonate with people, or hmm. only a certain amount of people go watch. But this one, it's got something for everyone. It sounds good, it looks good. It's got some some old familiar names and some you know some young bucks in it, and some something to follow. No matter what you're into, automotive yeah. wise, but you have got to find a way too to bring back the class cars. Yeah, that the Porsches, the Escorts, the Alpha. Um, they all disappeared and it just turned into a full V8 meat fest at the front, which mm. is fine, but got to encourage that to get back there, to add another five to ten cars. The fight within the fight would would, would be great. It's worth, worth
1: noting though, t- I, I do agree with what you said about the window of eligibility shifting further and for- further forward as time goes, but there's going to be a point that they're going to reach where the cars that would become eligible don't really fit into a Touring Car Masters sort of vibe. Mm. So if you go beyond the end of the Group C era into would, like EA Falcons and VN oh, Commodores, nah. yeah, it doesn't work, does well,
0: it? No, nah, well, and would you say that it doesn't really fit the vibe now that we've ended up with four-door Falcons and Commodores in it?
1: See, I don't mind Even that.
0: though they are 40 years old? I remember,
1: and apologies, Marcus, actually, I think it was 2018 Sandown when... His XD made its debut. I remember standing in the paddock having a good look at that car because it was exciting to see. And there was a um, VB or VC Commodore body shell in the paddock as well. And I was genuinely excited to see those sort of cars starting to come in because you need that sort of regeneration in the category. Um, But very few of those cars have gone on to be built, which Mm. which is a shame because it's an era that I think maybe that's the area where there's potential growth in the category with more of those generation cars coming in to join the heritage-era cars.
0: Here's a little theory. Mm -hmm. So what we said before, could we see a point where as we keep on rolling the window on to now we're in a kind of late 70s, early 80s Falcons and Commodores. Mm -hmm. So are we at a point where stuff from the early 80s comes in and then basically Touring Car Masters moves down the line and Touring Car Masters Originals... Splinters at you know at the mid seventies backwards.
1: Touring car legends.
0: Well it was something like that, mate. Yeah. Because it gets to the point where if you've got your 69 Mustang or your 1971 Camaro or whatever it is that you you know, your traditional TCM yeah. car. And I know we've turned this into a TCM chat, but we're into it. It's cool. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's gonna look weird with a 71, you know, Camaro racing a 82 Commodore or Mm. you know, stuff that didn't race one one another in the period. Yeah. I I reckon there's an opportunity there for a a split down the track but then I guess there's a whole another question there of, well, in essence you're making replica touring car racing and oh, that brings a whole another question to it all but in the short term, our opinions on how to improve TCM still all revolve around dollars. Yeah. Make it a bit cheaper to build a car, run a car. Maybe there's some more rules that can be put in place. Maybe some control componentry. It's hard when you've got different types of cars but maybe from a common company rather than common mm. specific um items or sizes but yeah they've got to, got to do something there because I feel like it's it's survived okay it's not as good as it was and not as strong as it was which given the last couple of years I oh think they've yeah. done extremely well yeah totally but uh, I well, I
1: think they have ma- they are making changes for this year to try and encourage some more of those older uh, cars back out I'm yeah, not sure and what the yeah and I haven't gone
0: are. really deep into it either but the thing revolves around how many different classes have they had over the years of Pro Master, Pro Sport, and this. Yeah, I can't do, keep I can't keep up with it but you if you do if need it, those for, for the competitors, yeah. If it appears to them the competitor to and that gets them in and it gives them someone to race against that they feel is an appropriate level of car or whatever, great. But yeah. from a from a consumer point of view who really, you know, it's it's just want to see cool cars.
1: Yeah. And as the racing that they put on at Bathurst last year demonstrated, they put on a very good show
0: still except for the right front tyres of XD Falcons.
1: Oh, don't say that. Marcus sent the question in. That's, <laughs> well, that's he, didn't, he wasn't the
0: only one. Stevie J had one go too. True, true. It wasn't mm. their fault. It was, you know, yes. Just driving too fast. <laughs> too fast, those boys.
1: David Vincent asks, Any idea how to watch Lost Speedways in Australia? Now, this is Lost Speedways, the television documentary series that Dale Earnhardt Jr. and his Dirty Mo Media team put together, where they go back and visit lost as the name suggests lost speedways old racetracks throughout the united states
0: i've seen a couple of these i haven't seen them all but great series great concept mm. would love to see something along those lines in this part of the, this part of the world australia new zealand um uh, I, I don't think it's broadcast anywhere here because in america it's on on peacock peacock which is nbc's streaming um service so mm. i don't think it's, you could legally watch it anywhere here. Yes. You might be able to get some streams in other places that I could not possibly condone illegal streaming. Yeah. Uh, but those things might be out there. That yeah yeah.
1: If I, if only there was a domestic-based streaming provider that had recently shown an interest in in motorsport products that could potentially license that series for for airing in Australia. Mm.
0: I see where you're going with that.
1: Yeah, my fingers are crossed, and I'm very
0: hopeful. But um, start writing. Not my decision. (laughs) Start writing letters. Start writing letters. I I am a subscriber. There you go. Uh, Craig Patterson. He has our last question of this Q and A podcast. Now, this one's cool. This is interesting. He watched the NASCAR Clash at the LA Coliseum. He says, "Could a non-points event like that work for supercars? Not so much an oval race, but something more in line to race of champions."
1: Now, I think it the right. the 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 clash has demonstrated that yes these sort of things can work and i think it's probably achieved all the objectives nascar wanted to do so like like i love like i love watching old editions of the clash when it was at daytona its origins as the fastest of the fastest nascar drivers all the pole winners from the previous years in a 20 lap shootout to figure out who's the quickest um but as time went on that sort of like the allure and the interest in that sort of went away crowds went away and so they completely renovated the idea and built a brand. If you if you're not totally across this, they basically built a racetrack inside the LA Coliseum,
0: which of course was the um, venue of the opening ceremony of the closing of the LA Olympic Games.
1: Yes, and it it put racing directly into the LA market. It attracted all sorts of people and crowds that. Had never seen a NASCAR race before, and may go now and watch it California Speedway, or travel to may may travel to Daytona or other races. So, and it was a good spectacle, and it was a good good bit of fun racing. So, it illustrates the idea it can work. It absolutely needs buy-in from the organizers, and in particular, the teams mm. for it to work, though mm. because and that might be the stumbling point as to why this sort of thing may not work with supercars because. You need the teams to be to be willing to race and race hard and put on a show, which, as we've seen from non-championship events in the semi-recent past, doesn't always happen.
0: One difference now, though. Mm-hmm. Teams don't own a slice anymore.
1: I would have thought that would have given them more reason to be interested in making something like this work.
0: That's what I mean. They owned a slice before. They had more control over what they did or didn't do. Mm. Now they don't have that slice. They get paid to race. So provided that you know, race, the owners could, if they put on some other event kind of like this, as long as the teams are getting paid, I'm sure they could all see the benefit. Look at what this did for NASCAR in terms of new eyeballs and new market and people who were there who don't normally go to a NASCAR race or never been to one before. Mm. So that that is an opportunity. Where could you do it in Australia? Oh, I don't know. Could you do it at Etihad Stadium and Marvel or wherever it is now and make a short track there and watch them bump and ball one another in eight-car heats? Or oh, I don't know. But I like the concept of yeah. something that's bannerhead, it's got to be different. It's got mm. to be different to everything else. It's got to be the thing that goes, hey, yeah, supercars. People go, holy crap balls, that's yeah. not normal. Yeah. And that'll attract the attention. So, um, it, yeah, I mean, look at what NASCAR have done. Mm. They're going more road racing, Yeah, Rovals, dirt track, LA Coliseum. They're thinking outside the square. They're, they're, they're sitting there going, we can't keep doing the same shit that we've done for 50 years here hmm. because we'll die. Like yeah. you've seen the crowds in NASCAR. They ain't what they were 20 years ago or 15 no. years ago. The evolution of the stars, so many guys have retired. Dale Jr. just mentioned. Jeff Gordon. I mean, you know, they're all in the TV broadcast now, <laughs> not on the racetrack, Tony okay. Stewart, you know. So they're, 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 they're looking at outside the square and I reckon we have to be as a sport here doing that as well and whether that's, you know, yeah. let's go let's go and hook up the Thunderdome for a roval race. <laughs> let's oh, let's just link fun? it up. Let's just bang some lights out there and <laughs> let them go nuts. But, yeah, something that's easy to get to in a condensed, confined space where you're going to see some action and it just puts it in front of people who don't normally see it. I mean, hard to drag new audience to existing venue. Mm-hmm. Easier to take your product to a venue that's easy for them.
1: It's probably worth noting that NASCAR's, NASCAR as a sport, generally where they race is outside of major major cities. Mm. Um, whereas something that supercars has done very effectively over the years is taken their racing via street circuits into the hearts mm. of major cities. So that's probably one, one little trick out of the playbook that they've kind of exploited already. But where, but I guess that you think of a uh, Sydney Olympic Park as being close to this in, in terms of concept where it's a circuit built in somewhere that's obviously an event precinct where people travel and it didn't quite work. But I don't know. I don't know how these cars would, how our type of racing would go in such a tiny
0: tiny area but it would be fun to watch it would <laughs> not be fun our to watch them try it's not our problem mate. <laughs> yeah. it'd absolutely be their problem uh, craig thanks for the question it was a a cool thing to watch in the coliseum i'm interested to see now what they do next year because i reckon they got to change it again they can't play the same card twice because it's kind of like if you've seen it once you've seen it now so it's true where do they take the clash for for 2023 and beyond we will certainly see hey i tell you where we've taken it we've taken it to the end this is the end of our q a episode for this week of the v8 Swift podcast hope you've been enjoying all the episodes so far throughout the course of the year our mark Ambrose classic car episode brad jones terry wyhoon um, we've got plenty more chats lined up we've got some more classic cars the mailbag will not let us down we will have stuff right throughout the course of the year to answer. So don't forget, subscribe if you don't listen to the podcast regularly. This will prompt you with some reminders when it goes live. It's every Wednesday. The Castro Motorsport News Podcast is every Tuesday and we'll have another pod here for you with the Sleuth pod next Wednesday. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you Will. Alright. No and we will chat to you next week. Same time. Same bat channel. Be there. Every lap in under a minute. Every move made to matter. Every decision impacting the outcome of the race. Supercars in Perth, every second matters. Bosch Power Tools Perth Super Sprint, May 17-19, book now at Ticketek. Supercars, unforgettable.